Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another Tech to You Tuesday. I was uh, very, very eager to get the show started today, and if any very, very uh, diligent watchers were observing Rad TV today, um, you could see how eager I was because I showed up a little earlier than expected. But um, I am here again today with uh, Ryan Beck. Howdy, howdy. He has been here many times. You should know who he is by now. Um, but he is the other nerd, which manages our remote support division, and. Um, so he is, he's always got fun, uh, fun insight to um, some of the stuff that we deal with every day because we, we deal with some of the most wild stuff on our remote support team and the calls that we take. Um, so we got a few things we want to go over today, and uh, one of them, probably most relevant to, to uh, Ryan's team, is going to be um, what's going on with YouTube and ad blockers. And um, I think maybe even before, well, I'll start, I'll start with this, which is um, the reason that this is even a topic is that YouTube very recently decided that uh, they were going to really um, tighten, tighten down the, batten down the hatches um, and uh, basically prevent people from accessing YouTube for free with an ad blocker, which previously worked very well. Um, it's gotten a lot harder now. If you go to YouTube and you try to watch a video, uh, your ad blocker might not have worked. Um, so what I'll do first is is probably have uh, Ryan, if possible, give us a little insight onto the into the the benefit of a good ad blocker. Well, I mean, the main thing is not seeing ads, <laughs> right? They especially the ones that are uh, really intrusive. Uh, in fact probably the main reason why it's ever recommended by anybody are those scam pop-ups that come up trying to tell you that your computer's locked or you have such and such infection or problem with your machine and you know give you a phone number to call so it's it's really good for preventing scams but really just blocking out the clutter preventing all of that noise on the page you know getting to be able to see the content that you're actually going to that web page for more easily yep um but you know nobody likes to to have ads interrupt them or or be broadcast when they're listening to music nobody wants to pay you know eight, what is it 18 bucks a month now for youtube premium or 17 bucks a month uh i don't know what it costs um i'm bringing up our audio just a little bit by the way um i got a, i got a message that our audio was a little bit low so i'm just doing a quick adjustment cool uh we had a, a last minute change before the show today so hopefully uh hopefully that's a little bit better i adjusted things it should be a little bit louder now um so wanted to uh get into this this thing with YouTube um, and basically kind of explain what's been going on. Um, they've had YouTube premium for a long time. And I know a lot of people are, are obviously watching YouTube people, ton of people consume content there. And the reason why this is this is potentially a problem is that you YouTube is is a resource that so many people use for things that are actually important and um, ads can get in the way. And there's been these like weird stories and it's hard to, it's hard to say whether or not there's a lot of like truth behind these stories, but the ones where people are like, I was in this emergency situation. I needed to learn CPR and they made <laughs> yeah, me watch yeah. a minute and 30 second advertisement to learn how to do CPR in 25 right, seconds. And I, and I struggle to believe those ones. Cause it's like, you know, who would go that route? But, um, there are other things where I would, I would imagine, you know, whether it's I'm stranded on the side of the road and the YouTube ad only loads in 1080p. And so because it's a higher quality file, my phone won't even download it and I can't even get to the video. What if you don't have a good data plan? It's yeah. eating up your data. Right. 
Well, by the way, stranded on the side of the road, I mean, like you're trying to fix something. Like, sure. It's not like, not like being stranded on the side of the road is fixed by watching YouTube. <laughs> Who needs to call AAA? I got YouTube. Um, but the idea there is that um, it can actually create a problem for people that are trying to use it for, for you know, important reasons so that, that have a lot of value. So anyway, ad blockers were a really great, great way to get around it. Uh, YouTube is getting better at identifying them. They've really been able to identify people using ad blockers forever. They know it's not like it's been a secret. Um, and they know user accounts that are doing it. They know who's doing it. They know how frequently it's been done. And they finally decided, well, you know, we're losing out a lot, on a lot of ad revenue because the ad isn't loading because the YouTube, because the ad blocker is doing its job. So as a result, um, people in mass have been like, fine, I'll watch the ad. And what's the way that they do that is they choose like the worst way, which is I'm just going to uninstall my ad blocker. That's a problem because ad blockers are actually recommended by the FBI specifically. Yeah. The FBI, uh, I think it was a year ago, um, maybe in like June last year, they had a statement. The FBI has a website where they put out statements about things to keep an eye out for. And this is one of them. It didn't really make a lot of news. Kind of the nerds knew about it. Basically saying you need to have an ad blocker on your computer. Right. And, and, um, we deal with plenty of those, those horror stories of people who didn't have one, clicked an ad, fell for a scam, downloaded a virus. One of the worst ones is the zero click ones, mm. which basically means you go to a website and it loads an ad. And just in the, in the process of loading that ad, you've gotten infected. Well, and it's not just that they're uninstalling those ad blockers too. It's that they're running to the store and downloading whatever ad blocker that's being advertised yeah, that they that, can that get. Too. So they're getting ones that might be, I'm not hearing a lot of reports of malicious ones being downloaded, they but exist. definitely ones that aren't as high top performing. So other websites right. you go to, um, might not, you, you might not get the same benefits out of it, or they might be turning to ones that are like a uh, ad block plus that allow certain advertisers to pay to allow their ads through. Yeah. And I, and I almost am okay with that concept because they're filtering. Sure. And, and hopefully to some degree legitimizing the ad, you know, I don't mind being served an ad necessarily, as long as it's not going to be a scam or, or lead to a virus. Um, but obviously like I'm somebody who pays for YouTube premium. I don't know what the price is. Actually, I'm kind of curious. I want to, must, must be nice to just pay for things that you don't, I the price don't It's not like that. I just, <laughs> it's a, it, it's like HBO max. I got an email from them the other day saying like, um, your, your price is not going up or something like that. I was like, great. But can, can we just send that to people every couple? Yes. Yeah. Hey, good news. The price is we're still not changing the, same. the price. Yeah, right. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but it was like, but you don't get 4K anymore, and instead of three TVs, you get two. Oh. And and there was a couple of other like basically we're reducing the quality of the service that you get, but we're keeping the same price. And um, yeah, you know, whatever. That's fine. Like I don't have to stream in 4K for HBO and. I, I only watch it on one TV at a time anyway. Maybe my wife is upstairs watching on this. So two is fine for us, whatever. Um, but YouTube Premium, I want to think that my price has gone up for that more than once um, since I've had it. So YouTube Premium, for those that don't know, is just uh, YouTube without ads. I don't even think there's any other benefits I get. I don't think so. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's it. There could be some other small it, things. It used to be combined with uh, Play Music. So you'd get like the YouTube's music thing that was comparable to Spotify or Pandora, and they did away with that right. entirely. So I'm I'm paying twenty two ninety nine a month for for oh. the, but that's the family membership. So I have uh, my wife and son on there. 
neither of which ever log into their YouTube accounts. And every time I watch them load a video and it loads an ad, I'm like, what are you doing? I'm paying for the premium. You don't need to wait for this stupid ad. Um, and, and I have a friend on there too. Uh, sorry, man, you didn't get invited. That's okay. Somebody else. You said friend. It's okay. <laughs> um, so for, for 23 bucks a month, I can have up to five people um, that have ad-free and ad-free YouTube experience. And there's a few reasons why I like it. Obviously, it's mostly convenience. Um, but some of those ads, and actually, I have forced my son to log in. He watches um, YouTube, and he has YouTube Kids, which is all kid-friendly. But he also, on his Google account that I created for him, he's he's listed as a, as a child. Right. And I've put restrictions on his account to prevent him from loading certain videos. But one of the things that... I can't stop is YouTube ads. And some of those are really bad. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen these, but some of them are like straight porn. And and that's really rare that it's like full graphic nudity. Usually it's more soft, right? but it's yeah. Very adult themed, especially when they do them with like, they're like, cartoons yes and it's like god like, why are you like uh, doing that like hentai anime or cartoon porn Roblox type games. stuff oh yeah yeah Dude. so basically what happens is these very sexualized ads get served on youtube and what happens is because youtube serves god knows how many different ads a day millions freaking billions a month i don't know and they, they don't review all of these they basically just say okay set up your ad profile and then we'll serve the ads that you want and it kind of goes through this automated qualifier of making sure that it's not something that's you know like advertising for a terrorist organization or something like that and, and they do limit things i mean they do catch stuff but people find ways to get around it right and so anyway the point is that ad blockers um, and in, in my case, YouTube premium has value because I don't want my kids seeing those ads and they come up frequently cause he watches so many dang videos. Right. Um, so ad blockers had a value in that sense. So now anyway, what do you, what do you do to solve this? Well, the first thing is there are ad blockers that do get around this still, uh, while, um, while YouTube has gotten better at identifying popular ad blockers, um, there are others and, and really you could just Google um, ad blocker that gets around YouTube. And there's a couple of top results that you'll find from legitimate sites. I will say that we have not vetted them yet. Um, and, and when, when we've had an opportunity to, I'll feel comfortable giving everybody a recommendation, but as it stands, I'll just say they exist. And when I have good information of of a good one, you can use, I'll tell you, um, the first one that I found, I tried and it worked, but there was, something going on with other websites that I wasn't a fan of. Like I went to a banking website to see how it would respond if there was anything that was going on. And it changed the way the header loaded on the page. And long story short, like ad blockers shouldn't touch the way pages load other than to remove ads. So it means that it it identified something on the page that it thought I didn't want to see, but it was a bank website there's no ads on it. So it just, I don't think it was anything malicious. It just wasn't very good. Um, So I'll keep looking. I'll have some answers for you. Um, in the meantime, you know, if you can swing it, I think it's something like 15 bucks a month for YouTube premium. And if you're really somebody who absorbs a lot of YouTube content, I will say for me personally, it's been worth it just not to deal with the, the hassle, especially using the YouTube app on my phone. That's probably where I consume the majority of my YouTube videos. See, I, I've lucked out in that one of my accounts got the pop-up message and now I can't watch any videos on it with an ad blocker on 
my other account, it doesn't even bother with it. Same ad blocker, same browser, same computer, just switching accounts and I can watch videos just fine. So your entire account was prohibited from watching videos? Yeah. Even ones that aren't uh, monetized until I turn off my ad blocker. Wow. Okay. But, but you can turn it off and continue yes. watching. Yes, yes, yes. Really weird. I, yeah. So some of the decision-making that they've had on what they're allowing and what they're, what they're not, um, hasn't really been made clear yet, but long story short, if there's, if there's ads being served on YouTube, you do need to be careful of those. And I don't want people to turn off their ad blocker. So the right. other tip is if you're like, well, I, I want to be protected from these bad ads. Um, but I want to watch YouTube, then what's the easiest solution? Just turn it off on that page. Exactly. That is an option in any good pop-up blocker. If it doesn't give you that option, chances are you're using a pop-up blocker that isn't very useful in the first place. It's probably not stopping things that it should be stopping. Um, one of the ones that we recommend uh, most is called uBlock or also named micro block because of the shape of the U is used as micro in engineering. But yeah, U block is what you would look up the letter U B L O C K. And, um, ideally what you get is the Chrome plugin. If you're using Chrome as your browser, you just, it's a plugin that goes into Chrome. Um, you can get that from the, uh, Chrome, Chrome plugin list. And if you need any help finding where that is, you can call us. Obviously we can help you, but it should be relatively easy. If you Google U block Chrome plugin, it, I'll verify it right now, but that should be the absolute top result. Extension will probably get you more relevant because that's what they call it in the browser. Thank you. I will do that. Yeah. So actually what I'll do is I'll bring it up on my screen here. Um, if you can see what I did is I just Googled uBlock Chrome extension and the very first one right here is called uBlock origin. And that's what you're looking for. So, um, plenty of options there of ways to protect yourself, uh, plenty of, of um, pop-up blockers that exist. But what you can do, again, if you, if you are going to watch YouTube and you want to be protected on the web, use a pop-up blocker. It's a really, really great tool. And just disable, disable it on the sites that it can't run on. Another good example of a site sometimes that won't accept it are certain banking websites. It's not incredibly common, but it does happen that they'll basically identify like, hey, something on your computer is trying to change the way our page is loading. So we're not going to give you anything. And it's just like this high security function. Some free email providers break too. Uh, I've seen it happen most frequently with Yahoo because they do in mailbox line ads. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Like Yahoo does that, I think. And if those get blocked, your entire mailbox may not load. Right. Uh, at which point you'll have to, again, make an exception, turn it off in that browser, or and I'm sorry, in that website. That's the kind of call that we get where people are calling for service and, and, you know, paying for, you know, repairs, if you will. So an easy way to avoid that kind of thing is um, just being aware of what your pop-up blocker or, or any extension really in Chrome is doing. It's really, I'm finding it more common for us to log into customers' computers remotely um, with their permission, of course, to say that, make sure that's clear. And uh, we get connected and they've got like five, 10 Chrome extensions. Now I have seen that from like developers. We, we use a lot of extensions when we're doing web development because we want to like pretend that we're loading the page on a phone or we want right. to see what happens if somebody has this operating system or whatever. Um, so a lot of, you know, plugins are, are common for, I guess, those of us who are trying to do technical things that most people wouldn't, but the average person shouldn't have maybe more than a few. I, you know, maybe you've got, um, one that that helps with uh, looking for the best pricing. What is that one that? Um, the one that is the is coupons. It, is it like, like Llama Llama Llama? Is one of them? 
Oh, um, I don't know. I think it's like I like honey or something like well, that. Well, honey is a big one. Yeah, that's a that's a big one. Um, actually, th- speaking of that, real quick, when we're talking about uh, browser plugins, during the Rad Show today, they were talking about how Black Friday deals are often kind of BS. And right. um, that is actually another good use of plugins is identifying whether or not historic a, low. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, there are plugins that exist on, on Chrome and, and even websites that you can go to. You don't have to go to a plugin. But for example, you can go to a website and give it a link on Amazon. So you, so you go to the website and it says paste the link for the product that you're looking at on Amazon. And it just shows you this graph of the highs and lows of the price of the, of the item. I'll, I'll, I'll make note to bring that up um, next week because we're going to be getting closer to uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Right. And um, I'll make a note of, of some of those websites that we use. Don't buy a new use. TV. Yeah, yeah, don't buy a new TV. Um, and, and, well, not... There's a way to identify if you're getting the right price, and I'll help you with that. Um, but yeah, one of the things that's been pretty wild is, and it doesn't seem like Amazon has changed much, but what's pretty wild is you'll see like this trend of price increases at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then price decreases throughout the year. And it's a lot of them are random the times that they do it, and you would expect to see the, the you know the other way. But now and again, you'll see this like one day, June 1st, the price of this TV is nine hundred dollars just for the one day. Yeah. But then every other day it's four ninety nine, so it's five hundred dollars off, or whatever it is, right? And um, or four hundred, whatever number I said. And so they get that's where Amazon gets to get away with that. Like this is the normal price. Right. This is the list, and it's because the normal price was listed that way for a day, a week, right. something like that. So. Um, this website, not or these types of websites and plugins, they not only give you the ability to identify historical pricing, but you can also typically find better prices Compare, very quickly. Yeah. Comparative pricing, yeah. So you like at a product on Amazon, it'll say, well, you can get it on Newegg or Tiger Direct or whatever these other. Well, Tiger Direct's not around anymore, but these other websites that you can buy products from, and uh, and find the best price. So, yeah, as far as um, as far as YouTube and ads are concerned, the biggest thing I want people to take away from that is please don't turn off your pop-up blockers. They're, they're very, very useful for other reasons. Um, one of the other things I wanted to go over, uh, this, this one, a topic we've hit multiple times now, but, um, I might need to, I might need to do like an instructional video at some point for this one. Um, basically what it is, is that people that are asking questions about, I keep on talking about IOT networks. Um, so networks where you connect smart home devices, and when you can, like in your home, you have a wireless network and on that wireless network, you have uh, the name, the SSID. So like I might call mine reader house or something like that. You can have another network in your home broadcasting. Um, usually it's called a guest network um, or it depends on what your router calls it, but utilizing a guest network or a, or a more secure network separately uh, for your smart home devices is a really great way to prevent um, smart home devices from basically allowing an easy breach to your wireless network. So I keep getting questions on how do I do it. And part of the reason why I haven't really gone into that of like exactly how to do it, it's not because I need you to call and pay for the service. It's because it's different for a lot of different devices. So it's it depends on the device you have. You could have any internet providers, modem and router combination. You can have your own router and each of them have similar phrasing but not exactly the same process of how to go about this. Um, 
the, the short thing that I'll say is if you can log into your router's settings and hopefully there's a little sticker on there for you um, because I might even guide you down a complete wrong path by giving you misinformation of a common way to do it. So if there's like a little sticker on it, it says how to do it, you can log into those settings and turn on a guest network. And what you would do is connect things like your thermostat and your vacuum or whatever you've got that connects to Wi-Fi, you'd connect it to that network. <clears throat> um, so I just, I'm going to go through one of these emails real quick. I got a couple of them, but um, there was a gentleman, Nick, who's emailed in a couple times, and I wanted to help him clarify something that we talked about on the show in the past. He's got AT&T fiber at his house and AT&T fiber is a little bit interesting. It's kind of unique. You have to have this like converter box in your house for it to work. Now we're used to thinking of that as um, like you have a cable connection. So the cable goes into a little black box. That's your modem and it converts that coax cable. That's the cable that has the little wire sticking out the middle of it and you kind of screw it in place. Um, you stick that coax cable into your modem and then an ethernet cable comes out. That's kind of like what people call the internet cable. It's like a phone jack on steroids is the easiest way to, it's a big phone jack looking thing. And, um, that little converter box is, is typically known as a modem. Now with AT&T fiber, it's a very similar concept. The difference is that fiber connection that comes from AT&T into this little converter box. Um, that's not something that you can or really that you should attempt to mess with. If it's a, if, if it's a coax cable, um, you can just plug in a little, it's called a barrel connector and you can extend the coax cable and you can run it into different places and they run throughout your house and it's very convenient because you can put your modem wherever you want. But with AT&T fiber specifically, you really can't mess with that. It's because the line coming into that fiber box is glass literally, and if you bend it too hard, it'll snap and it won't work anymore. Um, that's what fiber lines are, is, is glass. And so in his question, he, he was sort of alluding to what happens if I want to, uh, you know, expand Wi-Fi, I want to get a different router. He's asking for recommendations on that as well. And I just wanted to clarify, anybody who has that little fiber converter, whether it's AT&T or another provider, uh, Google provides uh, fiber in certain areas, um, if you have that, don't mess with it. Don't touch it. Don't change anything on it. Don't try to unplug cables on it. Um, you will very likely just damage it, it by, by, by messing with it in any way. But what comes out of that box <clears throat> is an Ethernet cable. And you can run that to wherever you want in your house. You can put it anywhere. You can run, you know, have a cable uh, installer, run a cable all the way to your living room on the other side of the house, whatever works out for you. Um, and then from there, you can use your own uh, router. Now, this is this is another area where, Ryan, you'll have to kind of help me if you feel like I'm missing any part of the explanation. I want to talk about um, two routers in a network. So I've got my AT&T router, and then behind that, I've got my own router. So why would I do this? <clears throat> Well, you would bridge them. Well, to... well I mean, the, oh. the purpose would be I want to control my home network in a way. Sure, yeah, that you might not be able to with the AT&T's. Or Comcast or, or Comcast or whatever you've got, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of implications there. Um, if you just go to the store, by the reason, by the way, the reason I'm talking about this is Nick was asking me about a router recommendation, but he's got AT&T Fiber. Well... You can't take AT&T's modem router combo that they give you, which is a device that probably broadcasts Wi-Fi as well. Mm -hmm. You can't remove that from your house right. and then plug in your own. 
And the reason for that is that little converter box is not just sending raw internet into the AT&T device. That device, that AT&T modem router combo, so these two different devices you got from your, your provider, uh, they're both doing a job of converting to right. internet. So if you want your own router, and this goes for anybody, you don't have to have AT&T fiber. You could have, you could have Comcast with their, you know, their coax converter that they've got. A lot of times now Comcast requires you to use their modem. It's a lot harder for you to go out to the store and buy your own now and configure that. They have limitations on the accounts that you can, the type of account you can have if you yeah. do that. Do you, you have Xfinity where you're at? I have right? Xfinity. Yeah. They won't let me, unless I pay, I don't know, like an extra 35 bucks a month. I can't have unlimited data because I use my own modem and router. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, 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 I use theirs, um, but what I'm getting at is, if, to, to answer this question, if you want to use your own router, you, you, you could theoretically just plug it in. Um, so the way that the lines would run is first you come from, let's just say your wall or your AT&T little converter box that you might have or whatever, but come from the wall and you go from there into your, your provider's modem router combo, whatever they give you. And then out of that, you have another router that you plug in that you went and right. you got from the store. And you got this because of all the stuff I'm talking about. You got it because it has Wi-Fi 6. So it's higher speed than the one you've got from your, your provider. WPA2. Better authentication. TSK. Um, it's got uh, guest networks. It's, you could run three networks simultaneously. It's got integrated VPN functions. It's got um, stuff to turn off the internet for your kids' devices at a certain time. There's really cool reasons to have these routers that right. exist, but most internet providers don't give you these kinds of features integrated in theirs. So what do you do? Um, the challenge there is that they providers and manufacturers of routers have not made it easy for the consumer to just swap out these devices yet. And that's really where we come in most of the time. Um, it's not hard for us to do. I mean, we do it all the time and it goes relatively quick, but there are implications to doing it wrong. What I will say is that you can always plug a router in behind your existing one um, and set it up. And if it all works, it's probably okay. But if you notice anything that seems wrong or things keep dropping, you probably have issues like um, mismatch SSIDs, uh, so Wi-Fi problems. You could have a double NAT. Where I, I learned about setting up a, a secondary router to my Comcast box in my first apartment, and it created a whole separate subnet for my right. devices that... I couldn't connect anything between them, and that's how I learned about you could have things bridging that, them. Yep, don't communicate <laughs> with each other. Um, there's there's a lot of problems that can happen if it's set up incorrectly, and and it does require a little bit of network understanding, like what a subnet is, you know. And, and so that's usually where we do come in. So the reason I bring all this up is to say, I encourage you get your own router, um, set it up, plug it in, go through the setup process, and if it works, then great, you're probably okay. Um, but if it doesn't work right, or you're not sure about the security side of it, especially, that's that's really where where we come in. Um, now, as far as a recommendation for a router, if you're looking for something that is, if you're looking for something that's going to be good for for security, good for um, speed, obviously, you're looking for that multiple wireless network thing. Well, I I won't give you a brand per se. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of good brands that are out there, but I will say that the price range does do a lot. Uh, like somewhere between 100 and 200 bucks is a really good target range for a good router. If you're going out and spending 40, 50 bucks on a router, it's not to say it won't do the job just fine. It's just not going to be the feature-rich router that you might be looking for for the features that I that I talk about on the show, the things that you might want. 
So when it comes to this, this IOT network, the smart home network, um, I feel like I'm kind of beating a dead horse with talking about it so often, but it is really something I, I can't stress enough. In fact, just at my house this weekend, um, I didn't have a security breach, but I had a, I had a problem with one of the devices on my network causing everything else on that network to fail. Um, I was out of town. I came back. And when I got back, um, everything on my smart home network wasn't working. So this is like my garage door, my, one of my refrigerators connects to Wi-Fi. The, the, there's a bunch of, I think there's like 15 or 20 devices on this specific network. And basically none of them were working. I was getting errors. And it turned out one of them was like flooding my network with traffic. But what was interesting is that my other network, because it was completely isolated, the smart home network with like these lower quality devices, um, my other network was completely fine. Everything was fully operational. My, my Apple TV could stream video. I could use my laptop and work. Everything was fine. But all my smart home stuff was jacked up. And this is the kind of thing that sometimes we'll go into people's houses trying to figure out what the heck is wrong. And it seems like it's a problem with the router, but it's really just a device that's on the network that's causing things to break. So there's another reason why these IoT networks can be helpful is because if you're getting a device that's not a computer, chances are its wireless capabilities are limited and you could have problems. If, if you're one of those people that's like, oh God, you know, I do have a problem with this periodically, it's possible it's something in your network. And that's where separating the network can be helpful. I think there's going to be a time for sure where it's going to be a lot easier to do this kind of thing. Um, we just have not reached that point yet. Consumer technology hasn't caught up with <clears throat> the simplicity side of what this could be. And ho hopefully that day will come soon. Uh, but in the meantime, if you have any questions, reach out to us. Obviously, we're more than happy to help. Um, one of the other questions I'd had was uh, about the IoT network. I got this email from uh, Charles. He says, I've had several or I've, heard, I've seen several episodes of you mentioning the IoT network to fend against people getting in via weak Wi-Fi devices and some other items. <clears throat> I have many devices and I'm using an Eero mesh system, which is, is a good system. Um, it, it's good in the sense that it's, it's uh, easy to set up and it's pretty effective with security from what we've seen. Um, I want to take your advice and activate the guest network, but should I put everything but our phones and computers on the IoT? I have many ring devices as well. Should I leave those on the main network or connect them to IoT? Thanks in advance for your help. Love the show. Thank you so much. Um, so phones, computers, um, that's pretty much it. That's, that's really what you want to have on your main network. Um, phones and computers, high security devices. These are devices that connect to your bank account, right? That you log into secure things with. Um, your ring doorbell, <clears throat> while that is a high security device, you're not logging into things with it. You're not using it for internet communication. It's just sending video back and forth and that video is encrypted. Um, ring is also pretty good with their wi-fi standards and the frequency at which they up, update their devices so like that brand in particular is not exactly one i would say make sure you put this on your iot network it would be more like if for, for good practice put it on your iot network but it, it's kind of like the other devices google makes like the google hubs they're pretty good they update they, they update frequently they, they self-update so they keep themselves updated with security patches but most companies that produce smart home technology don't do that so out of especially good practice especially the ones that crop up overnight on amazon brand yeah. name you've never heard of cheaper than everybody else five thousand five star reviews yeah for products that aren't matching the description of that product right. you're buying those those devices are going to have cheaper security or security that wasn't thought out or security that has a, a backdoor built into it you know exactly yeah 
Um, so good question. And, and yeah, ultimately your main network should be your phones and your computers. The one thing I will say is if you do this setup and your smart home devices don't seem to work as well, this is where if you have a really complex smart home, you could end up with some different issues, um, which I can help you with. And I won't bug everybody with these, but if you have a very complex smart home and you, and you isolate networks, sometimes these devices have to communicate with each other in the network. Um, so your computer or your phone might need to be able to communicate with your Chromecast <clears throat> is a good example. So there are, there are situations where some smart home devices will need to be on your, <clears throat> excuse me, on your main network. And, um, you'll know because it just won't work. Uh, but it, you know, this is, this is kind of getting into the higher tier, slightly more complex, uh, network setups. So if you have questions on that, don't, don't hesitate to reach out and ask. I'm happy to, happy to answer them. Um, a couple other things I wanted to go through today. Um, I had a kind of a fun one. Uh, so we have talked about AI plenty on this show. And, um, one of the ones that came up kind of recently was, uh, Boston dynamics, uh, decided to integrate, a language learning model into one of their robots. So they have this dog, they call it Spot. It's not a dog, it's a it's a robot that has four legs and it moves around kind of like a dog. The one that they put the turret on? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Somebody yeah. did put a turret the, the on kill one dog. of those. Yeah. A murder dog, yeah. Um, well, they gave one of those murder dogs, uh, this one doesn't have a turret, but they gave one of those guys a um, language learning model computer so it could talk to you. And it's pretty cool basically what it does, like the reason why this is helpful is let's say that you're using this dog. You know what? I, actually, I'm just going to show you first. I'm, I'm just going to show you guys. Um, let me get the audio set up here and I'm going to show you what this thing looks like. Uh, let's see. So this is, this is just, I've got a YouTube video up here of, of this dog and um, you can kind of just see, I'll, I'll play the, I'll play it in a second here and you'll, you should be able to hear the audio. Um, but this is this is Boston Dynamics dog, and and these things range anywhere. Like these, I think started about forty grand. Um, they can go up to a few hundred thousand dollars, depending on the stuff that you have added. Uh, you might notice in this image that there's like this arm attached to the top of it with they put like googly eyes and a hat on it to be silly um but it has a couple of other devices like on the back of it i'm i'm fairly certain that's a like a very precise instrument for gps to determine positioning um and then they have a couple of other instruments so if i had to guess this is probably a couple hundred thousand dollar robot that we're talking about so this is not like something your average person is going to buy and put in their home quite yet but the fact that you can get robots that look like this for like three grand that's pretty cool. And, and so I, uses, one of the best ones is they use these for security. They patrol um, like construction sites, for example. Um, so you kind of get an idea of what, what you're looking at here. Now I'm going to play it. You should be able to hear the audio. And uh, I'm hoping so because the, 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 the speech that they gave it is pretty great here. I'm going to hit play here. Greetings, good sirs. May I have the pleasure of knowing your names? I'm Matt and that's Vache. Pleasure to meet you, Matt and Vacha. Shall we commence our journey? The charging stations where spot robots rest and recharge is our first point of interest. He's got a pretty sophisticated British accent. Let's proceed to the rock pile. Hey, Spot, how do you like your job? Ah, Mr. Matt, my employment as a tour guide provides great satisfaction. <laughs> I find the That's quick. So... That's actually one of the things I thought, I'm going to mute it while I play this, I'll let the video play, but that's one of the things I thought was pretty cool was the, the, the pace at which it was able to respond. 
even like chat GBT, when you type it a question, it's, it's fast on the response, but it's right. not immediate. That was pretty good. Um, and I'm guessing that the company that's doing Boston dynamics is, is a huge company that makes robotic or robotic systems. They could easily have an LLM server locally that's processing this right. data. And, and so that could be the reason why this stuff is happening so quick. So, um, anyway, just kind of show you a little bit, you can see it moving around if you're watching us, uh, on, uh, on uh, rad TV here. And, you can see this thing is pretty capable. Um, so as far as, as far as this goes as a, as a functional robot, let's talk about that first before we get to the AI side of it. The functional part of it is, is pretty incredible. I mean, you can have this thing walk around your house when you're not there, your, uh, your office, it can replace, I'm sorry to say this, it can replace security guards. Cause what does a security guard do? I mean, walk around and take pictures of front doors. Yeah. They watch people breaking into stuff and then call the police. They're not like going to engage. Right. So, um, the functions that this thing provides for, let's say 50 grand. I mean, that's the cost of a, like a low cost security officer for a year. Yep. So in a year it's paid off and it, it does crazy stuff. Like the battery I think lasts two to four hours, something like that. Well, the, and they can go back and charge themselves. Not only that, they can hot swap batteries. Nice. So now they've got ones that have like a small internal battery that just stays charged and they can drop their own battery, their main battery out, move over it, pick up a new one. It just kind of self and, you know, clicks in and now they've got another full charge. So it doesn't nice. even need to sit there for an hour and charge up. Um, so the, the functions of this thing are incredible. And then that arm that you, you were imitating, which is so funny, that arm was, um, I think one of the Boston Dynamics first challenge with that arm was like, we want it to be able to open doors because if it has to secure a site, it needs to be able to rotate right. a handle, you know, whatever it is. So that little arm that it's got, which they mock up as like a mouth that's yeah. talking to you and they put a little top it's hat like the on shadow it. shadow puppet for a dog, you know? Yeah. I was saying yesterday that I, I, I kind of wish that they would have just put a sock over it and made it just go all out. It's a sock puppet, you know? <laughs> um, but they, uh, they they use it as like this funny silly thing right now but the reality is a robot which ha can move around autonomously and make decisions and and open doors and it has a little bit of strength not a lot like you could overpower that arm it's not made in in a way where the hydraulics I don't are... want to get into wrestling robot <laughs> yeah, yeah. dogs I right? mean if it gets a knife you know it can wield pretty quickly so I don't think you want to wrestle it either right but it has the ability to uh, move around on its own. Now, this is even before you give it language learning model access or, or any form of, of uh, real AI. This is mostly just instructions that you've given it on how to operate. Now that you've given it a voice and the ability to communicate, if you connect its ability to communicate with its control systems, which is what we saw because it was communicating and literally moving that hand, that means that you can give it plain English instructions on something to do. It writes all of that English into code and then executes on that code. And that's something language learning models are already doing now incredibly well. Like I, I can give uh, ChatGPT access to a database of information, tell it what everything in that database is, and then say, I want to know how many times this happened in the last year or whatever it is. And it writes its own query, which is historically something I would need a developer to go through and write right. and practice and mess up and then correct. And that's kind of what the process is. 
A simple enough query can be done without mistakes, but a complex query or a complex instruction set, they take time to develop. Well, if you train this language learning model on how all of the instructions work for this robot dog, and you can tell it things, then it can do them. Yeah. It just needs to know what, how its own body moves. You know, like if it, once it knows that and you've instructed it, it knows what it can do. Just AI kill bill, wiggle your big toe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, uh, one of the things I, I've, I was hoping to see is um, they've already taught these how to dance. Like Boston Dynamics yeah. did this thing where they've got their bipedal. Like a little shuffle. Yeah, yeah. That, that one, the little dog can do these kind of like dog motions, like oh, I'm ready to play. And it does like tippy taps. A little pitter patter. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. And it's kind of cute, you know, but it's still a robot. Um, but then they have like Boston Dynamics has these um, humanoid shaped robots. They're kind of big up top because they have this huge battery pack that they carry around, right. but they're, they're cordless um, and they're powerful and they, they can, can jump, they can jump high. <laughs> yeah. They can carry a lot of weight. Um, they're, they're one of the best applications is um, like military to like, let's say that you're, you know, if you're military, one of the things I, I watched this interview for a guy talking about climbing up this like shale mountainside in Afghanistan. And it was a nightmare because the, the, the shale rock material just kept breaking under their feet and they're getting cut up from it as they're putting their hands down. This thing can walk up surfaces like that and respond faster than we can. Like when we slip, you know, we might instinctively put our hands out. Right. It, when it slips, before we could even perceive through the, the speed at which our body communicates to our brain, this device has already calculated where it needs to replace its foot to stop the slip. Right. It's not perfect yet, but it's pretty incredible. And in most cases, when it's trained well on a surface, it can perform better than a human can and not falling over. Um, there's videos of people like kicking these things really hard yeah. and they just kind of stumble over to the side, but they stay up. Anyway. I could talk about robots all day. I'll show you guys some more at some point too. There's a ton of them. Um, but we give it a language learning model and we can communicate with it. So that means you can do stuff. It can do things for you. Like go do the dishes. Now it just needs to know what go do What's the dishes dish? means. So the first time when, if, you know, when, when consumer robots become available to people's houses, which they will, Elon Musk is pushing hard for that Tesla robot to be the first robot in people's homes. And I'm not going to say he's going to be first, but he's it's not going like, to be last. <laughs> what was that? What was that Robin Williams movie where he was a robot? Oh God. I don't remember what it was called. Um, that, up. That's what, that was that's, a trippy movie. That reminds me of that. Cause isn't that he, didn't he like become human? To, yeah. Like, he kind of like gained with, sentience. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the reason this LLM language learning model integration of the robot is a big deal is because you can now tell it to do things and it will understand you. It, 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 what's it called? Bicentennial. Bicentennial. Yeah. That's an old movie. Um, deep cut. I, it, it's impossible to get into all of the implications, but this is a really big deal. Um, especially since Boston Dynamics is doing it, who is a very uh, well-trusted company in the robotics industry as far as creating products um, safely and uh, transparently. They're very excuse me, very open about the things that they're making and why. And uh, I think integrating uh, an AI system into it is going to open a ton of doors. So they train it how to do the dishes before they sell it to the consumer. Right. You know, let's say that they sold it right now for 20 grand. 
that's not going to be the average person's ability to afford. No, but I mean, we're, that's the but same that's less what, than a car. Well, and it's the same as when cars were first becoming available. Right. Not every household could afford them. I mean, say it's a hundred grand, which yeah. is really kind of like what this thing is. Again, not in the average person's price range, but not that far off either. It'll I mean, be financed. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if by, if Tesla or Boston Dynamics it'll be, is going to It'll sell. be like a, a solar roof. You know, it, it comes with the purchase of your home. Oh, God, yeah. Like, co- it comes with the robot. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> my point being, these things are, are... We're watching the very beginning of hopefully not the ob- robot ro- uprising, <laughs> but uh, we're watching the very beginning of what home robotics systems will be. And I think a lot of them aren't going to look like people in the beginning. I think a lot of them will look like this, this four-legged dog or, or um, like something on tracks. I, ideally, it's something with legs because it could get upstairs and steps and go through rocks and stuff like that. But I, I'm, I'm excited for what the very near future holds. Even in the next six months, I imagine we'll be talking about like, oh, cool, they finally completed an integration of chat GPT-5 into this robot, and now you can have a conversation with it and because it knows what emotion is, it'll move its eyebrows when it's talking to you. It'll furrow its brow, it'll purse its lips, and it's going to do things that imitate a human. And people are going to hate it. And then I think what will happen is many people will just fall for it. You know, like they're just going to be they're going to be tricked into thinking they're talking to a human, even though it like doesn't have ears and has like a metal head or whatever. It's going to be really easy to get tricked into thinking you're having a conversation with something sentient. I mean, we're already relatively close, but people have AI chatbot girlfriends yeah, that they have on their phones married. And like, there's all kinds of, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's, and that's just like a, you know, tech texting in a lot of cases. Yeah. Like it doesn't even have live video of like having a conversation. You can't FaceTime it. Um, at least very few of them have anything that's even close to that. So uh, anyway, I'm, I'm excited to see what what more innovation comes up over the coming couple of months. And as soon as I can afford a robot, maybe I got to stop paying for YouTube premium. Um, I will buy one and I will show you all how it works. But that's going to be a while. <laughs> um, one of the other things I, I, I was hoping to go over today was a uh, conversation that they had on the show about uh, text scams and um, it was specifically Brandon had mentioned that he was getting a bunch of these text messages daily I think he'd said he was getting text messages saying that a package couldn't be delivered multiple times a day for me too do you get that too I mine hmm. automatically get filtered to spam in Android how'd you do that I didn't even have to do anything it just it figured it out based yeah. on the yeah. Android type of- saw the type of number and and it'll give me a little thing like a regular message notification but it'll say this was automatically moved to spam I can review it and if I don't change anything about it it'll nice. you know, it'll be empowered to keep doing it but yeah I get I get maybe two or three of those every single day there was a person who said I don't remember who it was whether it was somebody on the show I think it was producer Nick was on the show today and he was talking about it the message he was getting was um, a package was attempted to be delivered, but it was short by $1. So just click here and, and pay for it and we'll deliver it. And I, you know, I think you and I would look at that and be like, ah, nice try. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who would not look at it that way. You know, they would look at, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh God, a dollar. I, I don't even remember. Somebody must be sending me a gift. Of course I'll pay the dollar. So the, all they're after is your credit card, right? Yeah. Mine are all, there's, there's address problems. Please follow this link and give us your, your information. What's the link look like? Um, like a fake, is it a bit jumbled. bitly link or is it something just a, uh, some of them, 
have like USPS dot and then a random oh. random combination of letters. Okay, so that's that's kind of what um, some are like dot ICUs, not even dot coms. I've mentioned this on the show before, but if you see a URL for a, what you think is a website that you're about to go to, and uh, the URL is something like www dot USPS dot xyz123.com xyz123 is the domain you're going to right what i was what i just described is what's called a subdomain so it's a domain before the actual domain so techtu.com is a domain um fun.techtu.com doesn't exist unfortunately we should make that um fun.techtu.com would be a subdomain of techtu so when you're looking at those urls know what you're looking at if you're looking at usps before the actual domain name, which is always followed by .com, .net, .org, .ai. Unfortunately, there's a million of those now, so they're a little harder to identify. But you know that the final dot in that sequence is the domain. what's going to identify the domain that you're going to. So um, how do you stop it? That was the question that they came up with. Well, got bad news. That's pretty hard. Hope you like getting a new phone number. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned this, but I did get a new phone number recently. And I got it because of the volume of spam calls I was getting. I found out that my phone number got leaked. Um, not that I'm like a not that I'm like a person who people care to leak my phone number, right? I'm not a celebrity that I care, but it leaked in the sense that it was readily available online for you to Google my name and find my number. And the only thing I really don't like about that is that it makes it really easy for people to attempt to scam me because if they know my name and at this point I'm publicly known enough through different businesses that you could presume the type of things that I pay for or how often I have products shipped or whatever. Like you could make yeah. assumptions about me that would be a, a good way to try to scam me. Um, and, and so having my phone number just makes it so much easier because you could, you could send me a text message, um, that, that is an attempt to fool me, especially if you know information about me. So what I did was I actually, ported my number, which means that I, I kept it, but I gave it to a different provider. Mm. I ported my phone number from AT&T to Google voice. And, um, this is like the best move I've, I've made in, in years with any kind of simple technology change. I went to AT&T, I went into a store. I have a rep by the way, because we have a business account and, um, he was like, I've never heard of that before. You're going to have to go to the store to get this. And my, what my request was, was I want a phone number that's never been cycled before. I don't want a phone number that somebody else has had. I want a brand new phone number. Now, we live in the 916 area, um, just Sacramento. New zip code. We just got an area Let's code. Go. Um, yeah, we got yeah. the 279 area code. And so it was maybe a year after that area code had had been out and, and readily available for people to, to get numbers on. Uh, I walked into AT&T and I just said... Um, I, I want to change my phone number. And of course, that's standard practice for them. So they know how to port out the phone, help me porting out the number to Google was easy. Um, but I said, I told the girl at the counter, like, Hey, I, I want to get a number that I has never been used. And she's like, I don't know if we can do that. And I was like, I'm pretty sure you can, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident there's a way to do that. So she gets a manager. And then that manager was like, yeah, I have heard of people doing this before, but I don't know how to do it either. So he gets on the phone with somebody else. And finally they figured out like, okay, 
we can, we have this list that we can pull. I've sent in a request. It'll be here in like 10 minutes. And I was like, great. Okay. So I hung out in the store. The list was like four phone numbers. And, um, they said that they have options, like it can, it changes and they get more sometimes they have to request them, but it was very few. And what I tell people a lot of time because of what my phone number turned out to be, I'm not going to reveal that on the show, but there's a sequence in my phone number that people were like, Oh, that's funny. And, um, I, I chose it because it was funny, but what I usually tell people is like, oh, I was the only one available, but the reality is it, it was one of four and, uh, and I picked it. But the point is that I, I bought a, or bought, I, I asked for and was given a phone number, which has never been through any kind of cycle. And what I did as my practice to prevent s- spam text messages is I set up all of my business accounts, all of my public anything with my old phone number as they already were. If you text me at that number, the text comes through Google voice and I get it. it comes through the Google voice app on my phone. If you call me on that number, my phone rings. Well, most of the time I can just turn off calls from that too, which is really nice. I could just filter them whenever I want. Like if you call that number, I think I have it shut off at like 8 PM. Mm. I won't get any calls. So if somebody tries to spam, call me at two in the morning, that won't even ring through. Nice. And, uh, and then the new phone number I didn't use for anything right. except for like close family and friends, coworkers that are, at a level that need to be able to call me at 2 a.m. and like close partners, you know, like there's very few people who have that number. And, and it's not because I don't trust every coworker that I've got or every person that I meet or even like some businesses. It's the people that they associate with yep. or the scams that they fall into that I don't trust. Yep. And so very few people know this phone number because phone numbers get leaked. People give their contacts to applications that they don't know what they're doing with them. Yep. So my process was to keep that very private. I've had it now for a couple of years, I think maybe something a year and a half, two years. Yeah. Yeah, And, um, to this day, I think I've gotten, I think I've gotten one spam call and, um, it was like an automated message thing. And I've maybe gotten, I don't know, 15 at most spam text messages. And I found out where they came from. It's a pest control company that I used years ago. I called them to cancel my plan with them and I called them for my new number and they put it in their system. I just didn't know. And and I realized later when I got a text from them like, hey, we're running a special. I was like, son of a, I cannot believe you guys recorded that number. I did, because I didn't tell them about it. They just saw the number that came in, which I get, yeah. you know, good practice from, from their perspective, which is like, oh, if this guy calls, we know who he is now. I, I, I appreciate that, but as a mistake on my part. Um, so anyway, to answer your question, in a very long, long way is um, getting a new phone number is almost the only way to guarantee you're not going to get those text messages. And even then, you kind of have to go through what I went through to reduce the likelihood of getting those spam texts. Yeah, they're, they're like the penny saver. Once it knows your address exists, you're on the mailing list. Yeah. Uh, how do I stop letters from showing up at my house from Costco? Now, you could call Costco. But what about every other company that sends you junk in the mail? If you call Costco or anybody else and tell them, they'll just say no because there's no way. What if you move? That's their 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 yeah yeah. Will be Current resident sell your house yeah. or yeah they're just gonna send it hoping somebody else is there. Once once you're once you're known, it's gonna be really really difficult to stop things, and that's where education and scams, education and what to look out for of what what should be there and what shouldn't is so 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 important. Um, so hopefully the things that I talk about will help to educate in some of those areas. Um, 
a couple other quick things I wanted to touch on real quick. I had um, a person email me about not being able to get into an account. I want to find that real quick here. Um, oh, okay. So Caitlin wrote in and she said, Hey Ian, I need your help. If, if at all possible, I have an iPhone 10 R, uh, or XR as they're called. Uh, yes, I know it's getting old and not really. I think a 10 is still fine. It'll get you by. Um, it has the most, it has access to the most recent operating system, which is usually the qualifier that we give to say it's still supported. Um, I'm guessing that someone is trying to hack into my iCloud account. I've been receiving these Apple ID codes to my texts and I haven't requested or tried to sign in from any other devices. So somebody's obviously trying to sign into Caitlin's account. Um, I do have two form, uh, two forms of verification turned on for it, thankfully. Uh, so two factor, uh, I changed my password with iCloud account yesterday thinking that would help, but I'm still receiving the texts. So I'm guessing, they are still trying to get in. Um, I'm not the most tech savvy person. Any advice? So she she attaches um, a couple of screenshots of, of her phone and these text messages that she's getting. I'm not going to share these, but um, these are legitimate. These are from uh, actual code. These are actual codes from an Apple uh, account. Um, the, the reason I know that is that there's no attempted scam here. There's no links to say to click on. It just says your Apple ID code is blah, blah, blah. Don't share it with anyone. Yeah, and unfortunately, I've seen some services where even if you type the password incorrectly, it'll still send you to the two-factor code that way. Oh. And if you enter the code correctly, it'll be like, oh, wrong password, um, which I don't. not every service does that. Yeah, that's interesting. But that would, that I, would make it's a sense very low security why, way to do things. Yeah, but, but it would make sense as to why she would still see a code. I don't think Apple does it that password. way. I'm fairly certain Apple won't give you a two-factor message of any kind until you've ver- right. authenticated. Yeah, I'll, I could. I'm. I'm pretty. Con- I use it a lot. Um, either way, uh, what I would recommend in your case is it. It really wouldn't hurt for you to reach out to us and have somebody scan whatever device it is that you changed your password on. Um, this is not common, by the way. Um, this almost falls into what I talked about during our Halloween episode and like fear mongering, because the reality of what I'm about to say is very, very low. It's most likely something something else. It's likely that you're not being targeted. It's likely somebody's not in your computer, but it is possible. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you went to apple.com or iCloud.com where you would change your password and you change your password on an infected Windows computer, which is leaking all of your keystrokes to a hacker, um, that is a reality. That does happen, and it happens a lot. It's just not. It's not so much that we see it every day you can kind of quickly check for that too i'm not sure if apple operates this way because i don't i don't have got any apple products but um you can usually see where login attempts are coming from geographically speaking yeah so if it looks like they're coming from your area your computer that could be a better indicator that something like that's going on but also if you see it coming from cambodia right (laughs) you know then it's you know that it's probably somebody else making an attempt probably i i'm actually kind of surprised to see that the way that that caitlin is getting these um these messages is through text message too because the way that most apple devices work and i can tell she's using an iphone from these screenshots so it's oh do they use push notifications they do huh so apple has um two forms of two-factor authentication that they support right um, there are te- technically others, but two forms that anybody would use. And um, one of them is this text message where you type in your password on the website 
and it sends you a text. The other is a push to your phone. It's it's a notification like any other app notification. I wonder if it's like they're trying to do a, a try another way login. They could be. Because Google Google does the same thing. When I sign in, it's a push notification. But if I went yeah, know, try the, to it, authenticate another way, then they'll send me a Google code. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so the, the uh, possibility here is that if you've changed your password and you're still getting that code... It is possible that they're just trying to force a password reset and it's sending the code for that. Um, ultimately, somebody knows your user account. Yeah. And one of the things you can do that would be a pretty good hard stop to this, assuming that your computer isn't infected and somebody's monitoring keystrokes, which I don't want to scare you. That's probably not what's happening. It is possible that that's what's happening. And it would be, it would benefit you to just be sure that it's, that that, that isn't the case, which we do for free. You can call us. We will scan it. We will check to see if there's anything on there that's malicious. And when we find nothing, we're going to say, no charge. You're good to go. So don't hesitate to call and do that kind of thing. Um, however, obviously, if we do find something, we'll tell you and we'll quote you and help help you with, with removing it. But that's not likely. What most likely is happening is somebody's just trying to get into your account. And, and it's not the easiest thing to do, but it's the cheapest thing to do is to change your username. And the way you would go about that is to log into your iCloud account go to the settings where you log in with your, your email. You can even do this from your iPhone, actually, from the account settings. And you can change the primary email account that you log in with. I just did this. See, I didn't know if iCloud would offer something like that because not every service lets you change your username. I just did this because I've had the same Gmail account for, oh God, when did Gmail become a thing? 2003? So I've had it for like 20 years. I've had this email account. And I was thinking to myself, that's really bad practice that this email account is my iCloud login. I, I should just update it to one of my other mini Gmail accounts or whatever other accounts that I've got. And in this case, I actually ended up making a new Gmail account exclusively for the function of logging into iCloud because iCloud for me is kind of like, there's a lot of keys sure. locked behind that. And it is my access to my pictures and all kinds of stuff, right? So I want it high, high security. So it's an email account that no one knows. I don't log into it with any other websites. I don't, I've never given anybody this email account. Nobody would even know this email account exists besides Google. And that is the premium high tier way of doing things right. is if no one knows the account even exists, they're not going to be able to hack it. Right. Unless of course they get your access to your physical device or something. So my tip to you would be get a new email account and change your login to that account. Um, and then, of course, update your passwords. Keep the two-factor on. Hey, and well done on the two-factor. I love seeing hackers' attempts be stopped by a proper two-factor authentication system. It's, yeah, it, the, unless it's happening a lot, it never bothers me to receive those codes. I see them and just chuckle because it's like, ah. Good try. Yeah. Nice try. yeah. Now, that said, when I'm getting those codes... If it's a website that only sends the code after my password has been authenticated, oh, yeah. change your I'm going to go change yeah. my password. If your password's known, change Somebody's password. trying to get into your stuff. Um, and you're probably not being targeted as an individual. Chances yeah. are you're being targeted because your password got leaked somewhere or you, you know, you're using the same password in multiple places. So, uh, Caitlin, that would be my, my recommendation to you is, is change your username. Try to get a different email account. Um, you don't need to dump the old email account or anything either. You can use it both. You can add that email account into your phone. Um, I recommend a password manager as well, just so you don't have to remember um, all of the different passwords I recommend you use. Uh, I don't even know any of my passwords. If you ask me, I, I know like two of my passwords. So um, 
that's a good practice too. It kind of can be troublesome in very rare cases that I don't know a password off the top of my head, but it's really easy for me to access it. And, um, I recommend it. It's, it's a really high security way of handling things. Um, last thing I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up with, this will be a quick topic. Uh, we we're talking about Apple products. Um, Apple released their new MacBook. Um, with the, they did a, it's called like the scary event or something, a spooky event. I forget what they called it. Something scary, yeah, something spooky. They did it uh, uh, at night and it's like their first nighttime event ever, as far as I know, or in a very long time. And or scary fast is what they call scary it. Scary fast. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Um, so they, long story short, Apple released a series of new MacBooks and a new iMac, which is their all-in-one computer that has like the screen and computer in one and you just connect a keyboard and mouse to it and it works cool product their new imacs are, are really really cool um the uh, price range is is good for the power that you get out of them um they don't overheat um those are really really cool computers macbooks if you're into this kind of thing the macbook pros are freaking expensive i mean like the one that makes sense for people to purchase is like 2500 bucks yeah um why is this even worth talking about? This isn't really necessarily something I would say is valuable to the majority of this audience is that Apple released this new M3 processor. And on the surface, it seemed like, well, this is kind of a rebrand of their M2 processor from last year, which was incredibly powerful and fast. They made a couple minor changes. One of the things they did was they they reduced... Um, they they reduced some of the things that are in there that these metrics would be like, oh, you took process, processor cores out of it, you made it less powerful, but the, the reality is they just made it more efficient. So it is a hair more powerful in, in certain situations, but it's significantly more efficient. And the reason why I wanted to highlight this is I'm eager to talk about over the coming, it'll probably be months, but you know, possibly years is, um, the changes that we're going to be seeing with desktops that people buy they're at some point they could be arm processors primarily <sighs> not looking for uh, right now. So for, for those that don't know, arm processors are basically like a more complex version of a modern, like Intel processor, more complex in the sense that they contain more things inside of them. They're in many cases, less powerful, but usually much more efficient in their power way more efficient yeah. in power way 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 more efficient like tenfold in many cases for power consumption um so for laptops especially you know like my i think my macbook which is an m1 so now it's i think two ish years old um i i get like know, 15 hours of battery on that thing yeah Pro problems usually with early adoptions of of arm architecture on things that aren't mobile devices or macs like Windows devices and Chromebooks are, they usually get advertised as just a regular laptop. Right. And then people find out it's time to learn about what a whole different architecture is. None of these applications install on it. Yeah. Um, don't buy Chromebooks. Don't buy Chromebooks. Those things. It's never going to be worth if it. If the only thing you want to do is browse a website. Use your phone. Yeah, yeah, right. Now, you could justify the use of a Chromebook, but the problem is most people won't consider how limiting only having a browser is. And so Chromebooks are, they've been given away to students. We have a lot of people call us and like, yeah, I want to replace the screen on this thing. And it's like the screen is the cost of the whole yeah, computer. The screen is two thirds uh, of it. Yeah. Um, so uh, Chromebooks in particular are a bad example of ARM processors being used well. These new MacBooks are a good example of them being yes. used well. That They're totally opposite ends of the spectrum. But um, these processors will become more popular. And, and as a result, things will get smaller and... Um, 
I'm excited to see the pricing come down <laughs> because I, I like the idea of these ARM processors competing. The reason why this is going to affect people is that Intel is is really battling it out right now with Apple. Apple's making this ARM processor, which is more powerful in many cases than an right. Intel, the highest end Intel, a thousand dollar Intel processor, just the processor, not even the whole computer. And um, Qualcomm is another company that makes processors. They're entering the game right. and doing their own. So there's, there's finally competition in the processor market. And I know this is a very nerdy topic, but the reason why I like this is because it's going to drive pricing in a good direction for us as right. consumers. So uh, this is a relevant topic because if you're thinking about buying a computer, if you don't need to yet, if you can hold out a year, hold out because... Unless if it's for gaming, if it's for a specialty purpose, sure. high-end media rendering, ARM processors aren't going to beat out the massively Not yet. powerful multi-core processors. That'll be a while. Or the, the single-core gaming processors. Right. If you're doing it for work or desktop, yeah, wait, wait. Yeah, basic work are going to be perfectly fine for those. Yeah. I mean, that said, the graphics processor that's inside of this new M3 is comparable to the highest-end 2000 series NVIDIA cards, the best ones that nice. they had. So, like, um, they have uh, um, hardware-accelerated ray tracing in them. That is a big deal. For those that don't know what that means, it's basically like this lighting function for games. It's got it built into an ARM processor. This is a function that you see on graphics cards that are, like, you know, a foot long and like three inches thick with this huge cooling fan on it because it absorbs so much power. And this little arm processor that hardly requires cooling can basically do the same thing. Right. So cool technology improvements. Um, there's one, one other topic I actually just remembered. I was looking at my list that I forgot to mention. So I'll make it really quick. Um, Facebook, because of pressure from the European Union, is being forced to um, solve a problem, which is delivering ads to children. We were just talking about this earlier. It would have been a good segue. Um, basically, what's happened is the European Union has decided it's inappropriate for social media platforms to show ads to kids. So what they did to solve this problem was rather than try... What the EU, the EU has the best regulations. Oh, I know, right? Yeah, they they, I mean, they got their, us all their anti gambling stuff and anti loot boxes. They got us USB C on our all iPhones. The, all the pressure they put on Apple and Google. I just wish we'd do half of that here. Oh my god, god. Me too. I know. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, a lot of it does bleed it over trickles to our country. Down, yeah. So, um, well, trickles up. You know, left. You know, uh, right. America is it up here. Trickles. I it, would think it gets. On a little bit of everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Facebook, uh, Meta, who owns Facebook and Instagram, Meta has decided in order to comply with the European Union, European Union, um, they will not segment ads that are appropriate for children versus ads that are not, because it is hard to do. It just requires a lot of resources. So instead, it's free for kids to have the ad-free experience. So if you're between, I think it's 13 is the cutoff age there that you can start using it. 13 and 18, no ads. Great. So now all of a sudden, magically, everybody on Facebook in Europe is 13 years old and they're going to get five years of an ad-free experience. Um, obviously, they're doing things to try to protect against that simple workaround. But for the most part, that's what a lot of people are going to do. Hmm. Or they're going to charge 10 euros a month for an ad-free experience. God. 10 bucks a month. To, to browse Facebook, which is already one of the most... You couldn't get me to use Facebook for free. You could, you could not pay me you, 10 bucks a month to use Facebook. You couldn't pay me 10 probably. bucks a month to use Facebook. And you want to... God. T tech, Facebook for me is is uh, is a necessary evil as a um, 
a business owner being involved in businesses and, and, um, you know, communicating with your, your, your clients to some degree, but, um, it is, it is a rough area. And I, I like, I really don't want my kid to ever get into it. It's just, it's just such a toxic place for, for a lot of reasons. Um, but anyway, 10 bucks a month, you can, you can keep access to Facebook. I don't feel so bad about Instagram. It's actually the, like the pretty much the only social media platform I use to kind of post what's going on. Um, but I wouldn't pay 10 bucks a month for it. I just have no interest. And there's not been any official statement from Meta that they're going to roll this out in the U.S. But you know they're going to roll it out in the U.S. If it works. If Why they would they not? 10 bucks a month per user, it's you know happen. they're going to. So get ready. It's coming. I'm sure it will. There's going to be an announcement. It won't take long. They're going to roll it out. They're going to make sure it works, and then they're going to announce in the U.S. 10 bucks a month will get you an ad-free experience. Twitter is getting away with an obscenely high amount of people that are paying for Twitter Blue or X Blue or whatever the hell it's called now. Um, I cannot believe how many people pay for these these forms of social media. I get it. Like I, I get the appeal. I'm sure that there's people that are laughing at me for paying 22 bucks a month for YouTube. I use the heck out of it. Um, so it makes sense for me. So I get, I'm not going to knock you if it makes sense for you. Um, but it's coming and, and these prices keep increasing. So it's just another one of those bills to look out for as, as there is more reporting on this, I'll be sure to, uh, to bring it up too. I hope it drives, drives us all away from social media. I hope oh, that man. this is, I hope that this best. ends the social media era of the internet. Yeah. There was a, there was an article I was reading right before the show today that was talking about, um, social media in general being on kind of this downtrend and what's happening is people are finding platforms that are technically social media, but are less of the back and forward, um, toxic open communicating tools. And they're more just tools to, 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 um, have a specific function. And, and those are getting used a little bit more frequently. And we're seeing the use of, of things like Facebook, for example, come down in certain metrics, not in total. I mean, they still have, I don't know, they hit a billion users at some point. I don't know what they're at now. It's not like they're dead. They're, they're a very uh, yeah. live and functional company, but um, they do have a challenge ahead of them, which is that Facebook and um, most social media platforms have a negative connotation to a large percentage of the population now. And they're going to have to overcome that if they're going to want to charge 10 bucks a month to access it. So, um, that is all I got for you guys this week. Uh, when we're all done, uh, Ryan, we'll get your Facebook account rejuvenated. And, um, if you can find one to reactivate, Oh, you I, never had I'll, one, I'll, never even had one. I'll, I had one, but a, you, it would be so hard for you to find it before I deactivated it. I changed all the info on it to did not you, match me. Did you have a MySpace? I did. You did? I did. That's funny. I had, uh, I had, I got a Facebook when you were allowed to get them outside of the designated colleges. It was still restricted to colleges when I got it. And, um, and then I went through the same thing. I like paused it for a while so you can find it, but I didn't delete everything. I didn't like get rid of it. Oh yeah. I changed, I changed the name, email, any, any information on it that was mine. I changed it and then deactivated it. Mm, challenge, challenge accepted. I have to go find Ryan's old Facebook account and whatever name you gave it. I'm going to guess it was Wilbur. Or something along those lines. I'll find it. I'll figure it out. Wilbur. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for being with us. And thanks for sticking around toward the end of the show. Um, I will see you all guys. I'll see you guys all next Tuesday. Thanks Peace so much. Out.